Taylor Decker's on my All-22 fantasy team. Stop. They don't care. So the strategic component to this game is through the roof. Your predictions, right, your forecasting in fantasy football into how good is this player? This is going to, it's going to change the industry. Yeah. yeah. I moved to the old town where it goes down. Look at me now. I wrote my goals down. I hold it down. Made myself proud. What's up, everybody? Welcome into another All-22 podcast. There was a lot going on today in the NFL. This week, it's been crazy. Ray, there's been one, two, three, four, five, six, eight coaching firings, changings, retirings in the past, like, week and a half. So, um, first of all, what are you thinking about all this? Yeah, I think we lost the greatest NFL coach and the greatest college coach ever, uh, in, in the span of like 24 hours, it, more like 12 or 15, which is, which is absurd. Um, but overall, Josh I mean, this is right. Yeah. 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 Josh McDaniels, uh, for, for sure. And then of course, obviously Jim Harbaugh, cause yeah, everything he's done ab- is above reproach at Michigan. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, the the amount of openings in the NFL, you know, eight, maybe it's a little bit higher than than some other years, but I think for the most part, it, it makes sense, right? That's a quarter of the NFL, and for the most part, you're either doing it after three years or you're out, right? So, uh, a quarter of the league changing, you know, changing over is is about right. Maybe on the upper end of the expected outcomes, but yeah, I, I, I it's not necessarily surprising. No, but I think what was surprising for a lot of people, including myself, is the three changes with Belichick in New England, right? I think we started to expect it, but it's still pretty shocking that the greatest coach of all time is parting ways with his organization. Seahawks and Pete Carroll, that came out of nowhere. I get that he's 72 years old, but I mean, that guy, I would let him coach until he was 90 if he wanted to. He's just got the the energy, right? The energy, you know what I mean? And then Tennessee (laughs) with Mike Vrabel. Like Vrabel to me is top 10 coaches every single year. He turns garbage into gold and I don't know how Tennessee could let him go. Yeah. I'm interested in that dynamic in Tennessee and how much of that was Tennessee's call or I think there was definitely more going on there. Uh, I, I think Vrabel might have just sort of run out of, of his patience, gas tank, whatever it is you want to call it in Tennessee because yeah, like you mentioned, he was one of the few things that was going right with the Titans, just football operation as a whole. Um, I don't think anybody could realistically look at him as part of the problem there. So I think there was more going on there than what's what's been let on or what the official word will be from the organization and from Vrabel. Um, But yeah, a surprising one in the sense that a good coach was let go or left in organization um, and not through a trade, which is apparently was being considered, but because of timing, they didn't, they didn't get it done. That's, uh, I'm not buying it. There's, there's more to it in, in Tennessee than we're probably going to find out in the near future. Right. I kind of, I kind of like that though. Like if my team is going to get like a third round pick for my coach, cause Vrabel's a great coach, but I don't know if anybody's trading a first round pick for him. Right. And it's like, if I'm going to get a second, third round pick for him or my choice of all of the coaches available, I want my choice of all of the coaches are available, right? I don't want to wait until half of them already signed with different teams. And I'm just left with like the pick of the, like, you know, the, the scraps that's, that doesn't work for me. Um, but I was curious, Ray, with, with the coaches that did get fired or changed uh, surroundings, which of them are going to get other jobs, head coaching jobs, that is. Apparently Belichick might be one of them. He's, he's probably not done riding off, you know, into the sunset and just going to a beach somewhere. I think, uh, you know, apparently the scuttlebutt is Atlanta, which I think would be a good fit for him. Um, I, I don't think that was a name we brought up at all when we were discussing the Falcons a couple of weeks back. But and I think we mentioned we wanted an offensive guy, but Bill Belichick is Bill Belichick, and in a sense of his style of coaching, right? I think that roster kind of fits him. The the defense is just kind of this scrappy unit. It's not the most talented unit, but it's a it's a pretty scrappy front. They have near elite safety play, which has been a staple of a lot of Belichick defenses of the past. And you know he always uh, sort of carries the water on that side of the ball. So I think defensively it's a good fit there. And I do think that the Falcons are to a point where they are going to solve their quarterback situation this offseason one way or another. And 
obviously that's that's a move you're going to make with a new uh, a new regime coming in, new head coach, and you already have the weapons and the offensive line there, like we mentioned. So this would be a way for Belichick to kind of step over from one of the league's worst. Uh, constructed rosters to one of the, maybe not one of the best, but a good at the very least uh, roster situation over there in Atlanta and a very favorable division too. Yeah. And I think that makes sense. I think that makes good sense. This would probably be the best offensive group of weapons Belichick has had in a few years. Uh, But the quarterback situation is still going to be very tough for them to figure out. You know, I talked about how I was obsessed with the idea of them being able to be the team that trades up for Drake May but it turns out Atlanta, uh, excuse me, Arizona didn't end up with the number two pick. So Washington is likely not going to trade it, right? So I, I think it's going to be harder than just they're going to do what it takes to figure it out because there isn't a lot out there that's available. And, you know, Belichick in Atlanta, you know, maybe maybe uh, there's going to be rumors about Brady again because that's always going to be the case, right? No, no. no. I, oh, <laughs> Come I on. No, no. Come on. Bring them back. That's a Super Bowl caliber team. He, didn't he beat them with the biggest comeback in history? Imagine if he was then coaching or the quarterback of that team, him and him and Bill team up again. That'd be so cool. But yeah, I think Vrabel definitely cool. gets another job too, right? I think I think he's the coach that is the most obvious fit. And honestly, of the available coaches, he's probably my number one target. Um, I don't know where he ends up. I don't know what's the best fit for him. But I'd say if I had to guess, it'd be probably New England. Yeah, he's familiar with that organization and – He's kind of the identity, or he he personifies the identity of the Patriots and what the Patriots have been. Um, it's almost like just not not comparing him to Bill Belichick, but in a sense that he's almost like a younger version of what they have already been doing in that organization. He's used to, like you, like we just mentioned, having to drag bad rosters into competency. So uh, for the state of that roster today, he's he's the perfect fit. It makes a lot of sense. Uh, for him to to go there. I think that's a natural fit. And then the third, I think, natural fit overall is is what a lot of people are stating as obvious, which would be Dan Quinn going back to Seattle to replace Pete Carroll. And you know, you have the whole Legion of Boom history there and what he did with those defenses uh, back in the teens. The culture fit would stay exactly the same, kind of that tough, hard-nosed defense that that they've been known for, and maybe it has slipped in recent years. He can kind of help revitalize that side of the ball. They have good young pieces like uh, Tariq Wolin and uh, Devin Witherspoon in the secondary on defense, and obviously, again, Legion of Boom, his work there in the secondary, he'd be great for guys like that, along with young pass rushers like Boye Mafe. Uh, I really think Dan Quinn in particular is very good for young pass rushers and young defensive backs. And they have a couple building blocks to work off of at each of those position groups. They may invest more in the pass rush to here in, in the upcoming drafts uh, over the next couple of years. I think that's a strong possibility too. So in that aspect, I think Dan Quinn makes a lot of sense, uh, but there is a bit of a concern that a lot of people aren't talking about with Dan Quinn. And that's if you take a look at the Cowboys defense this year. Yes, obviously everyone's throwing the flowers at them, right? They're top three, if not higher in the league, 18.5 points given up per game this past season, but against the NFC West, they gave up 31.3 points per game. That's 28 to the Arizona Cardinals, 42 to San Francisco, 20 to the Rams and 35 to the Seahawks. I think given his history there, I think schematically that division has kind of figured him out by now. And even if you go, oh, okay, well, what's the connection there with the Cardinals, right? Uh, Jonathan Gannon just got there, but Jonathan Gannon was with Philadelphia the last couple of years. So I do think that that is something to really watch is, you know, has the rest of that division caught up to Dan Quinn, and there is no Micah Parsons over there on, on the Seahawks defense either. Um, so yes, culturally it's a fit. Um, you know the what they want to do there as a whole and kind of improve the defense at a high level. Yes, but there are some underlying concerns that aren't getting talked about with Dan Quinn because I do think a lot of his success isn't necessarily schematics. I mean, yes, he moves Micah Parsons around, but other than that, it's more so just the same fundamentals that he preaches uh, and doing what he does well and building his identity and perfecting that. And that's great. But 
if the division you're going to is has been used to and familiar with their identity for a decade now and has you figured out how much is that really going to help i'm i'm not entirely sure hmm. that's those are really insightful points ray and uh i talked about variable being my guy that i would i would go after if out of these coaches but that's only because pete carroll is likely taking a step back like he's not going to be another head coach but he would be the guy uh I think if, if you look at all of the situations, Tennessee uh, losing a great head coach, but Seattle, like the players in Seattle, I think will have the biggest drop off if they don't get an absolute stud of a head coach. Like that organization has been held up, I think, very heavily because of Pete Carroll being there, right? He turned Geno Smith into like a, a top 10 quarterback in the NFL the last couple of years. I, I don't think there's a lot of coaches that do that, that just bring that kind of atmosphere and winning environment. I think he's made the most out of that defense, right? You, you said it. They don't have an edge rusher like a Micah Parsons, but they're still a very, very productive group of players. And every year we're talking about different prospects that come out of that organization. So I just – I don't see that being the same level of situation that it was, and I just – I think the value on a lot of those players is sadly going to sink a little bit. Um, coordinators and position coaches with the rest of the guys, like I think that Brandon Staley will definitely get another opportunity – I'm sure Josh McDaniels will finagle his way into another opportunity. <laughs> He'll probably end up in Atlanta with Belichick. Uh, oh Wink gosh. Martindale. I think there's people out there that probably pay to get what happened to uh, to um, the coach of the Giants get screamed at by a, by grown ass men. I think uh, you know Wink, if it wins you games, yeah, <laughs> wins you games. But you know, I definitely think Wink's going to get another opportunity. He's a great coach, although I think you know professionalism. He might need to uh, take a couple courses on that. Is he I like the Arthur, new Rob Ryan? Is, is, like, is, is that him now? Is. He kind of is. That's a good one. Um, and then just other guys. I think Arthur Smith, right? I, I joked about this on, on Twitter, but I think he would make a fantastic offensive line coach. And you talk about like the Giants, right? We went from Wink to now Arthur Smith. If you brought Arthur Smith into the Giants to be the offensive line coach, like if he can't solve the problems with that offensive line, I don't know if anybody can. So I like that match. Um, I think, yeah, Ron Rivera, probably now just an office guy somewhere. Pete Carroll, he already said he's going to be sticking in Seattle, just being an office guy. Uh, so a lot of exciting things happening there. But it is also playoff time, Ray. And for those of you that don't know and haven't figured it out yet, Ray is a Cowboy fan and I am a Packer fan. Our teams are squaring off this weekend. I mean, obviously that's the game that we're most excited about, but there are a lot of intriguing games this weekend. And a part of me, like, I don't know how anyone bets on the NFL. How do you bet on the NFL knowing that something has to be rigged, right? Like, how do you get the Watson versus Texans game? How do you get the Goff versus Stafford game? Like, how does that it's happen? Not <laughs> it's not Watson. It's not Watson. That's true. That's true. That's true. But, I mean, it's still the team, right? Like, it's still the team. It's the Browns versus all of the picks and money they gave for the player, right? So, like... It kind of is. And, okay. and and again, it's it's Goff versus Stafford. Like, how does that happen? I just don't know. I don't know how you bet on the NFL and feel good about it. Well, you just take the Cowboys and you take them to cover against any bad team because if the spread is 14, they're going to beat them by like 28. And because that's just what they do. And then if it's a good team, just don't bet on the Cowboys. So there's right. that. So don't bet on them versus the Packers. Got it. And I was actually going to bring up how like, do you know how there's so much Dak slander People just like hate Dak, even though he's yeah, arguably a top ten quarterback every single yeah. year. And this number year one in big time throws and lowest turnover worthy throws this season, and no one's talking about it. Yeah, uh -huh. right. I'm starting to feel like Love is in a similar boat, although obviously it's only been a year. But like, I'm looking up dynasty rankings and things like that for quarterbacks, and Jordan Love is way down the list, like way down the list. He was tw just for context, he was twelfth in all twenty two out of quarterbacks, that's where he finished in all 22, right? A different type of fantasy football. In traditional fantasy football, he finished fifth, right? And we're talking about like a 25-year-old quarterback who's going to lose no weapons next year, and the team has like multiple second and third round picks. I just don't get why people aren't starting to get, you know, hyped about Jordan Love. Well, they stopped paying attention after week eight because he really started off so slow. One, two, three, four, five. Yeah, but he had seven really subpar games, nothing grading even in the seventies until the second half of the season. So everyone just kind of stopped paying attention. I think it's interesting. It's right after that Vikings game 
um, where I went on the radio and said, I'm not sure that uh, Jordan Love is a franchise guy. I kind of really liked him, but he just hasn't shown it yet. And then he just ripped off basically a top eight second half of the season for any quarterback in the NFL, probably higher than eight. It might even be top six. Um, if, if I were to dig in a little deeper here. Um, so yeah, I think people just kind of made up their mind and stopped paying attention to Jordan Love and then kind of started back up again uh, over the last couple of weeks. And um, yeah, that's that's just sort of been the story. They've just kind of been flying low and just playing really well and just winning their games. And here they are. They find themselves in the playoffs um, as a very just underappreciated, not spoken of much at all team. But yeah. They're dangerous. So I'm excited about it. And I think, you know, hopefully we get to watch together this weekend. Hopefully uh, I come out on top, obviously. Um, but what games are you most excited for? So I'm really interested, actually, in the the Rams versus the Lions. Because the Rams have been a very popular sort of pick here as the team that's sort of trendy. And they're on a hot streak and such. And, and everyone loves the Lions. And... I feel like if it wasn't for the whole fiasco against Dallas, people would really be riding the lines high here. Um, I'm excited to watch because there's a part of me that really thinks the Lions just come out and overwhelm the Rams, to be totally honest. But if they don't, especially early, I think it's going to make for a really good game. So I think there's sort of three potential outcomes here. I think the Rams either win close the Lions win close or the Lions win big. But I think there's a pretty high likelihood that it's one of them winning close. And if it's the Rams, I feel like that'll make for the most entertaining game of the weekend. So I'm very excited about that one. I had and my we can, notes. We can get into it deeper more if, if, if you want, but I just high level, just fan speak. That's what I'm looking forward to right now. No, that's all I wanted to hear. And I mean, I, you don't watch enough NFC North because I feel like as much as everyone loves the Lions, including me, like they, like I'm a Packer fan, this is a fun team to watch. And it's really hard to root against them because of the young talent they have. They're a little bit tragic. They are a little bit tragic of an organization where I don't know, right? When you get into these big games, and especially Jared Goff, right? Like talk about tragic. When you get into these big games, yeah. are these the players that are going to step up and win? It is such a young team. It's, it's not like they're just going to go in there and knowing like we're vets, we know how to handle our business, right? Like this is a learning experience for most of those guys. And then just Jared Goff being Jared Goff. It's like this, this does seem like it has a recipe for the Rams going in there with Matthew Stafford, who's a very good quarterback. He's going he's gonna to control the ball game. And you have one of the best head coaches in football leading that, that team. To me, it's, it's screaming upset. Uh, but I, it, you're right. I think those three outcomes, it could be any of them. But I think just, you know, again, if you gamble on the NFL, just take it easy. And then the other one, Dolphins Chiefs. Like, Dolphins haven't beat anybody good. Anybody good this season. I think, like, they they have a losing record and are extremely outscored by any team that is in the playoffs or even had a winning record. Meanwhile, the Chiefs are this team that's Patrick Mahomes just – doing everything he can to keep this team alive. The defense is playing pretty well, but the offense just has no weapons and he's carrying the team, but he has done this before, right? Talking about the lions, not having those guys, Mahomes has done this before. So you go from the dolphins with all of these weapons, the best weapons you could ever ask for in the world versus Patrick Mahomes and a pretty good defense. I think that has a recipe to be a very exciting game. Yeah, that's, that's a fun one. So, I mean, a lot of people, yes, the, the Dolphins have just constantly come up short against everybody. I got to take that clock down. We're past January 6th. But um, anyway, the the Dolphins have come up short against pretty much every quality opponent, except for the Cowboys, of course, um, this, this past season. But I do think it's a little bit lazy. Uh, I see a lot of talk about how the conditions are not conducive to their style of play because it's going to be like six degrees at kickoff or something ridiculous like that. But yes, you obviously want Tyreek Hill and uh, Jalen Waddle, if he's healthy, to you know be indoors on a fast track and all that good stuff, right? But McDaniel can lean on that run game and scheme it up with the best of them. And quite frankly, going away from that is kind of what's gotten him in trouble in recent games. So if he's forced to rely on the run game a bit more um, just because of the elements against Kansas City, I do think that 
doesn't necessarily hurt the Dolphins as much as others think. Um, on the flip side, I listen to anyone who wants to poo-poo the Chiefs wide receivers, and obviously they haven't been good all year. However, Eli Apple, if he has to play significant snaps, he's essentially the defensive Kadarius Tony. And so, like, you could just count on some type of blunder from him that will just break the back of the Dolphins and the Chiefs could take advantage of it. So it, it might just be that simple when it comes to this game. Like, yes, the Chiefs receivers are bad. Yes, the Dolphins have Jalen Ramsey. But, aha, they also have Eli Apple, and that's going to be the difference. But I do think that is going to be a good game, too, because I could see the Dolphins leaning on the run game a bit more, and that can actually – I think that's something that's not being talked about enough, and that's something that can actually help them in a game like this uh, against Kansas City. Um, and it's in Kansas City, right? So, again, that might be a way too, just kind of not just the elements but the home crowd as well, kind of making things a little bit easier for for the passing game and for Tua. I, I think that's a recipe for them to kind of thread the needle and win, but I, I wouldn't bet on it. We're, why are we talking so much about betting? But I would – I mean, I would take the Chiefs, but – I think that could be a fun one too, if that's how it plays out stylistically. Right. And this, this uh, podcast is brought to you by DraftKings. <laughs> we didn't get a chance to talk about the college football championship game. Uh, and I did want to kind of transition to the meat and potatoes of this show, which is talking about JJ McCarthy. We've talked about Michael Penix. We talked about some of the other big name quarterbacks. McCarthy is one of the next, I think there's two guys left. It's McCarthy and Nick's. And since the national championship just happened, it makes sense to talk about McCarthy. We, you know, we all just saw it. So we have kind of like that, that film fresh in our minds. Um, but I guess before we get into him, is there anything you wanted to note about the game itself? Um, yeah. I mean, Michigan was the better team. They, they had the stronger roster. They were way stronger on the lines and that's, that's pretty much it. I mean, I think Washington adjusted, um, coaching wise pretty well to the early run game of, of Michigan. And I think it's funny. You look at, at the game trend itself, Michigan runs the ball, Michigan scores, Michigan runs the ball. They score again. Michigan is up comfortably. They start throwing the ball with JJ McCarthy and all of a sudden all their momentum is gone. Um, Washington can't necessarily take advantage. Michigan runs the ball again, eventually breaks through game over. They're the national champions, but yeah, I mean, R Michigan, had the stronger roster overall. I mean, they've said that, you know, they could have upwards of 20 players drafted in the upcoming draft uh, in a couple months here. So, I mean, they just essentially overwhelmed them with that talent and experience. A lot of them were fifth year seniors, fourth and fifth year seniors. So they had the best mix of experience and talent of any team in the playoff. And that was their recipe for winning the championship. Uh, we mentioned any of the four could have done it. Washington's was that passing game, right? Those wide receivers and the downfield passing game with Michael Penix. And that was just off. And it wasn't off just because Will Johnson got away with a bunch of holding. No, it was just off all night period. And you can't afford that in the national championship game against a defense as good as Michigan's. And so that was really just the long and short of it. The bad Michael Penix showed up, which we alluded to some of that on the podcast uh, when we really dove into his game some and the, the pluses to his game, that downfield passing that we really praised was just not there. So that was, that was your college championship. And um, now we'll see what kind of drama unfolds with, with Michigan after Harbaugh leaves for one of these NFL jobs. So we didn't talk about it too much, the Chargers, but I do think that's likely where he is going. Um, I think that's a pretty good fit there because the roster there is not that strong. We've talked about that too. Uh, their salary cap situation is not great, but they have a quarterback and they have a couple pieces on the offensive line. And Jim Harbaugh can make that work. He's not all about needing the high-flying receivers to make an offense work. He's all about you know grinding away at you with the run game, with an offensive line, play action, shorten the game, take care of the ball. That's what that's what the Chargers are going to have to do while they rebuild that roster the next couple of years. So I think it's a great fit. Yeah, I like that fit a lot. And I think that him leaving, I think that's probably what J.J. McCarthy's waiting before he declares because he has not declared yet, right? So this this review that we're doing is a little preemptive because there's a chance that he says, no, I'm going to stay in school. I do think that if coach leaves, he leaves because it doesn't really make sense, right? You're losing 20 starters on your team and then your coach leaves. It's like, what are you sticking around for kind of a thing? 
But I do think after watching his film, just first impressions, right? It's like, I think that there is a lot that this kid could have to gain if he stayed in school. I know I say that a lot. This might be yeah, the you're big, the stay in school guy. You are you are a stay in school guy. This might be the a biggest lot, a lot example. Of college for seven years. Yeah, it's great. This might be the biggest example of that out of the group of guys that we've discussed, and the, like the biggest reason, first impressions, right? I think he has highlight real plays that stack up with every one of these prospects not named Caleb Williams, but they are so limited because of the team just doesn't seem to put the ball in his hands all that much, right? So that's that was like my initial takeaway. Yeah, he is capable. You could list the strengths and weaknesses, and essentially what it will all boil down to is the strengths will be capable of, right? Whatever you want to call it. Capable of throwing the football with good zip. Capable of fitting the ball through tight windows. Capable of going through progressions. Not a one-read type of player. Capable of extending plays and picking up yards with his feet. Then if you go into his weaknesses, inconsistent will be the word pretty much every single time. Inconsistent timing, inconsistent anticipation, inconsistent ball placement, inconsistent ability to level throws, and not a quick release. He's the epitome of, if I were to summarize his game before we really dive into it, right? The best way I could describe J.J. McCarthy is if someone had come up to me and told me, hey, Michigan has this really high four-star slash five-star quarterback. And I watched J.J. McCarthy this year. I would have said, yeah, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. That sounds about right for what you'd expect for a freshman. And then I would have found out that he's actually started almost 30 games already. But that's basically what it is. He looks like a freshman out there, a talented freshman who is capable of things, but is not at all consistent. And they, the game plan each and every week, they construct their game plans around basically not putting him in harm's way or or basically protecting him is just another way to put it. But that's that's the quickest way I could sum up J.J. McCarthy. Yeah, and I think that's fair, but I think one thing we need to recognize is the, the shifting thought process when you're watching these, these prospects in that, yeah, you're saying maybe he looks like a freshman, but maybe that's because some of the other guys you're watching are in their sixth year, right? Like, it's like, he is a freshman compared to those guys. Like, he actually is, right? Like, I think he is currently a 20-year-old, is he a junior? He's a 20-year-old yeah, junior. Yeah. and 20 years old, right? And he's eligible for the NFL. He's 20 years old. He's turning 21 later this month, being compared with 23-year-old Jaden Daniels, 20, going to be 24-year-old Michael Penix. Caleb Williams is going to be, I think, 23 come draft time, or he's right around there, 22, 23. Drake May is 22. Like, he is by far the youngest prospect of this group of guys. Bo Nix, again, he's also like 24. So, like... I get what you're saying, but at the same time, I think we need to take a step back and recognize that this is a freshman compared to those guys. The years don't stack up. So you do need to give him a little bit of respect with that. And that's why like, I was actually pleasantly surprised with what I thought uh, for what I saw compared to what I expected to see based on the slander for J.J. McCarthy <laughs> that I hear. Some of it's warranted. But at the same time, he's three years younger than everybody else. <laughs> that's that's interesting. I'm the age guy of the podcast, and you just sat here and just stumped your feet for 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 JJ McCarthy because he is 20 years old. What a what a world what what a world we live in. But um, the good with him is is very good. The problem is that there's too much bad, right? So if we want to just just go right into kind of some things that I saw. Um, the main thing that concerns me, which always concerns me if it is a concern or an issue with a player, is just the lack of consistent anticipation. There are even some throws I saw that on the TV broadcast were just praise and lauded, like, oh my gosh, what a great tight window throw. Like there was one play action play against uh, Michigan State for a first down. It was only like a 12 yard gain. It was a play action uh, to, uh, to his left receiver. Uh, runs a bit of a a bit of a dig uh, in between some zone coverage, and McCarthy takes an extra hitch and doesn't throw the ball until the receiver was already out of his break, and that allowed the safety to come over and almost pick it off. 
And on TV, it looks like a fantastic throw because he just like threads the needle and fits it like just over the outstretched hands of the safety right into the receiver. And it's a first down. And it's like, whoa, what a throw. There was a lot of zip on it. But in the NFL, as opposed to the second worst pass defense in the Big Ten, that's an interception and a bad one because the receiver was open and he was a tick late. When you actually go back and watch the pass, he pads the ball and then throws after the receiver's already facing him. So it's things like that where, again, you could say that that's a young player. And as he gets more reps, as he gets more time, if he had or was afforded the time that some of these other quarterbacks had, then maybe that becomes less of an issue. But it's a gamble because it's an issue today. And if we're drafting him in in 110 days, you know, you're you're basically banking your job security as a head coach and a GM on him being able to quickly resolve that portion of his game and at a level that's at a much greater game speed than what he's used to seeing currently in situations that are going to be a lot more stressful than the situations that he was in at Michigan because of the way they played offense uh, under Jim Harbaugh. Sure. And and you knew exactly what I was going to say. And that is right. That is a trait of a young player. And uh, you pointed out one example of that, but I think there are a ton of others where this kid is throwing to a difficult spot and the, the announcers are saying, what a great throw by McCarthy. And I'm just sitting there pointing at the screen. I'm going, what about the tight end that's wide open yeah. <laughs> 10 yards deeper? Like, why didn't he go there? Right. And I think it is a little bit that he's not seeing the correct throw, but he's, he's making the throw, right? Like he's making some pretty good throws, but like there's a way better option on the table. That's going to give him more yards. Uh, it's an easier throw and he's just not seeing it. Right. So like, I think that that's all things that you see in a, an experienced quarterback. And I understand that he has, you know, a couple of years under his belt already, but this is still, you know, that's, that's 19 and 20 year old kid playing quarterback and they didn't really give him that many opportunities, like you said, to screw up. Right. So like, it's just the, the sample size is so small. So let's, let's take a step back. So like the throwing motion stuff, right? Like let's talk about his arm, the throwing motion I thought is good. I thought it's like very good. It's, it's, it's again, kind of like prototypical. There's nothing like extremely extravagant about it, but it's, it's a really good motion. Um, I did think that he lacks a little bit of natural power that some of the other quarterbacks just naturally have. Um, but he does have like a strong enough arm. I'll, we'll get to that later. But I do see him at times in his motion trying to get the ball downfield. And this is like a big knock on him in my book is because I talked about how I, I need the deep ball, right? I was more for Michael Penix than Jaden Daniels. When he tries to put the ball down the field, McCarthy, he's able to do it but it does take a very long time. He has a longer motion, a way longer motion when he's throwing down the field, but that's not even it. The thing that I had the problem with is it's something that like, if you've ever seen me throw a football, which I hope none of you ever have to do when I'm putting the ball like down the field and I'm trying my hardest, like a lot of inexperienced quarterbacks that have no training, I pull my head, right? Like, because I'm trying to get extra, I pull my head. If you look at a lot of McCarthy's throw down fields, he pulls his head. And to me, that's like, that's a big no-no when you get to the NFL and everybody's faster. You're talking about throws that will get picked off at the next level. If you're not looking at your target when you're throwing the ball, that's a big problem. And again, I think it goes to there is a lack of physical talent in his strength that maybe it's because he's 20 years old, but I, I, I'm not really sure that's it. It might just be something that's innately a problem with him. But on the positive side, the best thing that I saw in all of his game is his footwork in that he keeps a very nice wide base when he's throwing the ball and it does help his motion a lot. I remember talking about um, Baker Mayfield, you know, five years ago, however long it's been now about how that was my favorite quality of him, his footwork, his wide base. It was reminiscent at the time of Drew Brees, right? Like it's like, mm -hmm. you can see those characteristics in the base that these guys have. And to me, it is something that's very, very useful in the NFL and something a lot of young prospects are not able to do. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting when you watch, to your point, Michigan does what Michigan does and they rep it over and over and over again and they do it well. They don't surprise you. You know what's coming and somehow you still don't stop it when it's a play action 
flat pass on fourth and two in the Rose Bowl. Um, but they rep it over and over and over again. And you see that with McCarthy in in his footwork, like you mentioned, on those rollouts, on those play action passes, the footwork is is there and it's consistent because that's just what Michigan does. They perfect what they do and not much else. They 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 don't open up the playbook and have all these crazy plays. And no, they they do what they do and they do it well. And you see that in McCarthy's game. Uh, particularly in his footwork, like you mentioned, so that is that's certainly a big uh, a big part of it, and that's and maybe that's the biggest part of it. Maybe it's it's really the situation that he goes to in the NFL would have to be more of that type of run first uh, system and style of play and and play action and roll out more under center. I like him more under center than I do from the gun, from the shotgun. He just, he seems more comfortable that way. Cause like you mentioned, his feet get moving. He gets into a little bit of a rhythm and he has less of those. What were you thinking throws out of play action and out of, uh, out of under center than he does from the shotgun. And I think that's probably a large part of it. You get him moving. His eyes are in motion. He's in rhythm. And he's just playing football, whereas he seems to be a bit more rigid from the shotgun. And that's kind of where I don't know if he's trying to read the whole field at once, but that's where the game starts to seem too big for him. And he's late on some of those throws that we're pointing out. Um, He's he's a little hesitant on some of the downfield throws. He has to put extra on it. I think that could be a part of it, too. I think he's at his best in in play action. Yeah, I could see that. I, I could see that with what I saw. The arm strength going back to that. And it, I will say it was better than I expected in the fact that I did see him throw 55 yard passes, right? Like he's capable of doing it. It's just not a natural thing for him. And I do think that his, his uh, frame, his footwork gets, gets a little mixed up when he's trying to make those throws. So it is a, a bit of a problem. Um, but it is, again, I don't think it's the weakest arm in the NFL. Like if he goes to the NFL, he probably has a stronger arm than Tua has. Right. So like just, just putting that in context. He also has healthy, a healthy hip. Um, I will, I will always stand for two and, and think about how great he could have been if, if he didn't have a devastating hip injury, because that hip injury was nasty. Like that's not a joke um, that, that really harms a lot of careers. And so I, I think we've, we've never really gotten to see the best of Tua because of it uh, to be Shame. totally, totally frank. So um, yeah, I, I agree with you there. I think his arm, it's more zip than, um, downfield strength, right? I think the zip is, is, is fine. I think throwing downfield is where, like you mentioned, he has to put that extra oomph behind it and his body mechanics get weird. And that's where the ball placement kind of loses its, its quality. Um, so could it be that he's a, he's a 20 year old kid? Like you mentioned, I, I don't think so either. I look at his frame and I don't love the frame. He's six three, two Oh two or something. Um, but I don't see like a big wide frame to where you see a lot of physical growth left despite his age is he's just on the smaller side, despite being six, three and what you want to see height wise, his frame is not as big as someone like a Jaden Daniels or some of these other quarterbacks that we've mentioned. So I'm not sure how much physical growth is left there. Um, so yeah, that, that's basically, that's all I have for the, for the physical aspect of it. Right. I, th- I think we pretty much touched on all those points. I mean, the athleticism, we probably don't talk enough about. He extends plays. We saw it in the, in the championship game against Washington too, on, on a big third down when they were backed up near their goal line, he scrambled for like 25 yards or so. Um, that's something that is an underrated part of his game and probably not talked about enough. He will be one of the better runners at quarterback in the league. Once he's in the NFL, um, again, not, not anything crazy like Lamar or some of the, the you know the real top um, you know dual threat quarterbacks, but he can absolutely hurt you with his legs and and will do so um, if he doesn't feel comfortable with what's out there in the passing game. So he he will run maybe even a little bit more than he should, especially early on in his career. Yeah, and I actually like an aspect of it that's not related to him actually running because I think when he scrambles, he always keeps the ability to to run if if he wants to but his feet are always under him and it's very underrated right like it's very underrated because so many of these quarterbacks once they decide to go there they go right and then if they try to throw that's how a lot of interceptions happen because they they don't have their base under them and they they make it complicated and they try to make a throw that that they're physically not able to make in the in the position their body's in 
he doesn't do that. Like he keeps his feet under him. He keeps his eyes downfield. To me, that's a very positive quality. And it reminded me a little bit of like early Russell Wilson, uh, like that part of Russ's game that he had and he used really well his early part of his career. One other thing I wanted to touch on just talking about like the physicality things is his, uh, his touch on the football, right? So like, I think he has above average touch on the football. He does something that not a lot of quarterbacks can do, which is if you watch the nose of the football on some of his throws, he can drop it, right? Like he, he has the ability to drop it, which gives him the ability to get it over DBs at times in a way that makes it easy for the receiver to catch where it's not this like difficult, awkward angle for the receiver. Like it literally just falls nose first into the receiver's hands at times. I really like that part of his game. Love it. Cool. Okay. Numbers, numbers, yeah. very underwhelming, right? Like, <laughs> like we're talking about a class of, of prospects that have six years in college, five years, four years in college that have done really um, like special things. Caleb Williams, Drake may not having those five years still immaculate numbers, right? He, JJ McCarthy is not that guy, right? We talked about how Michigan didn't give him those opportunities the same way the other guys did. Um, and he was only a two year starter. So less than 3000 yards throwing in both of those years, 21 and 22 touchdown passes in each year. Then 87.1 passing grade this year, good for 11th. That's very good. But his 20 big time throws is half of Michael Penix's, right? So we talked about how special Michael Penix was throwing the ball down the field. Obviously, we didn't see it in the championship game. But this is half of that. Maybe that wouldn't be a problem if the turnover-worthy plays wasn't – he didn't have 11, which is the highest percentage out of the big six. I'm calling them the big six, but the top prospects – at the quarterback position for this draft. He has the worst turnover percentage, lowest big-time throw rate. So how concerned are we about that? I don't know, but 9.4 ADOT also on the lower end of this group, although it's still like pretty good. 2.84 time to throw, to me, that's that's fine. That's really good. But the big-time throw, turnover-worthy play rate, definitely concerning to me. Yeah, at, at the end of the day, the long and short of it is when you watch him, the – the only throws that he can make consistently well, consistently well are to the flat and crossers. Those are the ones that he can throw well. Any other timing route, in or out breaking or downfield, it's inconsistency is what you see. You see some really well-placed balls, and then you see others that just, it's, it's a what were you thinking or how did that end up at the complete wrong shoulder of the receiver or whatever the case may be. It's just... It's inconsistency, and the the way to sum it up is for the amount of times that they take the ball out of his hands at Michigan. There is no excuse for the amount of WTF plays that you see on tape. It, it's the best way. He's not a high-volume passer where he's, he's throwing, you know, he has 600 plus 650 pass attempts or whatever the case is. I'm not even sure. I just threw that number out there, but he's not throwing the ball 45 times a game to where, okay, over the course of a season, you're going to rack up 20 plus really bad throws that you would love to have back. He doesn't have that type of volume, but yet he has a ton of just really bad plays that you just don't want to see from, from a quarterback or that you should not see from a quarterback who we believe is getting ready for the NFL draft uh, this coming April. So it's, yeah, it's just one of those deals where he doesn't have enough plays of consequence or enough windows of actual consequence to see as many bad passes as we do on tape. Sure. Okay. And I, I agree with that. I think now just talk about the person again, we don't have a lot of information on this, but um, I, I'm worried about the lack of jump from, year two to three, the numbers are very similar, right? Like it's, it's not like we saw like incremental growth. Like it's, it, it's pretty flat. It's pretty flat. And that's a, a bit concerning for me. Um, I think obviously that he, he won a title, right. And the quarterback is the leader of a team. I understand college is a little different where running backs are more important, right. But he's still the quarterback of that team. And to be able to lead a team to a national championship at 20 years old is pretty special. So there might really be something to that where a team will buy into that leadership and want to make an investment there. 
Um, we haven't really done this yet, but I'm curious if we should have, and if we should at least just start right now in that, like if you had to give a, a grade around a draft round grade to this prospect, where are you putting it? Cause I think I have my answer and it might, might be what some other people are thinking. It might not be, but I also would just quickly say before you give me an answer, I think with all of these prospects outside of Drake May and Caleb Williams, they're very, very, very situation dependent in that Jaden Daniels to me can go to a rebuilding team, but I don't think he's good enough to be taken with an early pick. Whereas Michael Penix, I think has some leadership ability and a big arm that like a more established team might like that, um, you know, might be picking later in the first round. So like, I, I think that makes sense. But I don't think he actually does. I think he's probably more of a second-round prospect. I think McCarthy, to your point, Ray, that you said earlier, I don't think he's a prospect that can just go into an organization right now and be the starting quarterback of an of an NFL team, right? Like I think it may take multiple years to do that. If he does declare for the NFL draft, it's going to take the right situation to let him grow and develop. And because of that, I'm thinking third-round draft pick. I, I tend to do or address quarterback the quarterback position dif- differently than I do others when it comes to grading. I really like to just kind of do like tiers that I consider franchise quarterbacks. So like I'll do, you know, top, top tier, like elite prospects. Right. But then there's below that, there is a line of, are you a franchise quarterback or not? Right. Do I envision you as someone who can start for my franchise for eight plus years, whether that's, you know, in a year or in three years, but eventually is that your ceiling? Is that your upside? Is that the type of player you can become? I think in this class, the guys on the clear right side of that line are Caleb Williams and Drake may. Those are the only two that I'm comfortably, I'm comfortable saying are on the right side of that ledger. I think Jaden Daniels is right on that line. Penix is pretty dependent, but I would lean. No, I would also lean no on Knicks. I'd probably lean the hardest no on McCarthy. And just reason being is that when I watch him, I see a capable talent. I just think the game of football is too big for him. And he was put in a situation where it hardly ever had to be because he never had to do anything in any big moments this entire year. He never had to do anything in any big moment. The one, the, 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 the one pass against Ohio state that went you know, like right past the, the safety's ear that a lot of people love to point out. That's, that's, that's it. That's literally it. A play where the defender wasn't looking. I, I, I just think the game is too big for him to be totally honest. So it's a developmental guy. And I take developmental quarterbacks in the third round. I don't disagree with you. He's yeah. not going to go in the third round. He's going to go higher than that. But that's that's my grade on him. See, I wouldn't be surprised if he fell late second, early third. Um, and again, as a developmental guy, I think I think like Minnesota, right? Like Minnesota today said they're bringing back. They want to bring back Kirk Cousins. Fantastic. Bring back Kirk Cousins. Give him three years. Give him a lot of money, right? He's going to demand a lot of money. Great. Give him three years, $150 million. He's going to be happy. This is a guy that you get in the third round that can sit and actually learn and develop behind him. And I actually believe that one day, like you're saying that like the game's too big for him. He can never figure it out. I don't, I don't agree with that. I think it's way too soon. I don't, I don't give up on 20 year olds that have this much promise. Right. So like, I'm willing to just say like, be my backup quarterback, figure it out for three years In three years when Kirk's ready to retire, we're going to give you one year to figure it out. Like Jordan Love did this year you either sink or swim, right? And I'm, I think this is a prospect that can do that. I want us to have a compl- like a whole episode about the group of quarterbacks, so I don't want to get too in the weeds. But like, I feel more confident doing that with him at that price way more than I do with either Michael Penix or Jaden Daniels in the first round. Because you're saying Jaden Daniels to you is a borderline franchise. I have him much lower than that. I think he's a, he, I think he's a gamble. I think he's like the arm strength thing at the NFL level to me is a major concern. I know you said that you thought JJ McCarthy's frame is, is less than Daniels. I probably disagree with that too. I think Daniels is a pretty lean guy 
And I could totally see that being an issue at the next level. You know how hot is in Louisiana? He's been sweating out all that water <laughs> weight. Once he's put him in New England and watch, watch him bulk up. No, but I, but I think that a team, like to your point, I think these guys are all going to go earlier than I'm saying. And I think yeah, yeah. Daniels being, you know, Atlanta's quarterback next year. And if it's Bill Belichick and they get a really good OC, it could work out. And that's what I'm saying. It's totally situation dependent where if the right team takes these guys, great, it could totally work. But like, if I'm not the right team, if I'm New England, Jaden Daniels is not my guy unless I'm getting him at 2-3, right? So that's just kind of where I stand. I know we're uh, we're right at the time limit. So, Ray, do you have a comp for him? McCarthy, that is. Oh. Um, it would be no because it would be – it would be insulting to JJ McCarthy. No, um, no, I'm not. I'm not going to give a cop. Come on, <laughs> that's dude. all you. That is all you. This episode. <laughs> that's that's really mean. I I feel like there are obvious signs that people would just be like, yeah, it's he's got so much Zach Wilson in him. I think Zach Wilson's arm mm-hmm. was so much stronger than McCarthy's, yep. and and uh, yeah, a liver. I don't I don't think that's the comp. I think it's I think it was much, livelier, but whatever. Yeah, livelier. I think it's much more similar again to like the arm strength of a, like I keep going to Kenny Pickett, but it's got a little Kenny Pickett to it. I I think that there's like Jake Fromm, there's some Jake Fromm game where like similar stuff where he wasn't meant to be the leader of that team. He just did little things well with a great team around him. Um, But I I think he's a little better than Jake Fromm. Um, I I don't know. I don't really have a great comp. I'm I'm really curious when we hang up this call, I'm going to call you and ask for your comp and you're going to tell me, and then I'm going to tweet it out to the world. So everybody knows what it was. I'm not answering the phone. I I, I got to run, man. And you're at 52 minutes. You're at, you're at PS one screenshot level now. So perfect time to end. All right. Well, everyone, thank you so much for tuning in. Please give us a follow on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, I guess at all 22 underscore PFF and then like, and uh, give us a review wherever you watch or listen to the podcast. And thanks for tuning in. I'm a ghost.